Last week we finished the James series talking about faith and, and healing and, and how James is just stirring in this pot uh, faith and, and healing and persistence and prayer and faith and healing and persistence and prayer. We talked about how Elijah was persistent in his faith and, and we talked about what happens in your life when you're persistent in your faith. But I want to talk about today what happens when you pray, when you're persistent in your faith, when you didn't give up. And God still says no. This message is for the person who asked God to take something away and God didn't take it away. This message is for the person who has had to deal with some disappointments in life. This message is for someone who has struggled or is struggling with something or even somebody. This message is for someone who's been debilitated by something. Or, or disabled by something, or maybe even struggling with a disease, and you asked God to take it away, and he didn't take it away. This is for the person who's run into some closed doors in life, and God hasn't done everything that you expected him to do, or asked him to do. This is a passage of scripture in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 10. We're starting off in a conversation that is already in progress. And when I start reading, you'll be able to, to hear how the, how the writer, the Apostle Paul, is already talking about something. And, and we'll go back and give it some context, and so you'll know exactly what he's talking about here. But we'll just start in, jump in, and I'll only stop a couple times to give it a little clarity. And I'm going to do my best here to read it in the tone with which I believe Paul wrote it, because I think there's a little tone going on here, okay? I think he's, there's a little bit of attitude with what he's writing, 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, what's the third heaven? He's saying the third heaven so there wouldn't be any confusion about it. Not talking about the sky, not talking about the universe, talking about throne of God, heaven, heaven. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would only be telling the truth. Now that's a little cocky, right? He's saying, if I wanted to brag, wouldn't even be a brag, because it'd just be stating the facts, everybody. (laughs) But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they could see in my life, or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, for when it looks like I'm down for the count, When it looks like there's no way out, 
when it looks like I'm done for, when it looks like I'm burnt out, when it looks like I can't carry on, then I'm strong. Paul the Apostle is is one of the key figures in the New Testament and played a large role in establishing and planning churches. And much of the New Testament is made up of the letters that he would write to the churches and to the pastors he'd planted. And it's amazing to me who God decides to use Because he doesn't always use the people we think he should use. He doesn't always use the people with the best personalities. That guy's so nice. God's going to use him. Well, God goes after everybody, even terrorists. Because really, that's what Paul was. He was a terrorist. Before his encounter with Jesus, Paul terrorized Christians and persecuted them harshly. And he wanted them jailed. And not only jailed, he wanted them persecuted and tried, and he wanted them killed. He wanted Christians killed. And God decides to aim all of his love at a guy who was violently against Jesus Christ being Lord. But Paul has this incredible experience with God, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 9. The encounter he has with Jesus is life-changing. He's blinded for three days. And then the religious scales fall from his eyes, and Paul becomes a completely different person. And, and like taking a pit bull off a chain when the mailman comes, Paul goes into action, preaching the gospel everywhere, establishing churches. He becomes this incredible mentor to many. And his letters to pastors and churches are saved, and they're passed around and many of them are canonized into scripture he's relentless in his pursuit to see the church of Christ Jesus expand so that God's kingdom can come from heaven and dwell on the earth and he's by far the greatest apostolic evangelist we have in the New Testament I don't think there is any more passion that he could have had than he had for the city of Corinth and And I don't think there's any more passion that he could have had than he had for the community of believers, the Corinthians. The Corinthian people were a mixed up bunch. They had a lot of issues they were dealing with. But when the gospel message came, they embraced Paul and they embraced the message and they were able to establish a strong church among the Corinthians. And there are at least three letters from Paul to the Corinthian church. One of them we know is lost, but in these two, we see Paul trying to lovingly mature a group of believers that were exposed to a lot of immorality. The second letter we have, 2 Corinthians, many people believe he started and stopped writing this letter three or four different times, because if you read it in one sitting, he's abruptly changing tones throughout the letter. So the first nine chapters, man, they're awesome. It's encouraging. He's saying, I love you guys. And and I just pray that you would fall in love with Jesus even more. And and hey, let's raise an offering for for the poor believers in the city of Jerusalem. And let's be a blessing to them. And then he'll abruptly change tones and correct them and rebuke them. And then he'll stop and he'll commend them. And many believe it's because that as he was writing this letter, as he was crafting this letter, he would hear different reports about what was going on in the church. So he would hear good things and he would commend them. And then he would hear about the sexual immorality and the division in the church. And he would, he would stop and he would correct them and rebuke them. And he would correct his spiritual children and he would say, I, I taught you better. So the first nine chapters are pretty great, and then it gets to chapter 10, and there's this direct shift. And if you just read it, you're going to get this feeling, this tone of, I love you, good things are happening. And then he just turns and he says, I'm an apostle. 
I'm an apostle. Okay, Paul, I think we know that. We were here when you established the church. But what happened was he had got word that some people had come into that community and tried to subvert Paul's apostolic authority. And they tried to undermine his credibility by trying to say he wasn't a real apostle who wasn't laying down doctrine correctly and that they shouldn't be listening to Paul, but that they should be listening to them. It would be as if, like, while Pastor Kelly's away, someone got up here and said, he's not a real pastor, and he hasn't really been teaching you the truth, and that's not really what the Bible says. And so, as you can imagine, Paul is a little miffed. It's a little bit more than just a small thing. He, he's a little ticked about this. And he says, God gave me to you. And I don't really know exactly what these other guys are about, but there's this connection that I have with you. Blood, sweat, and tears went into the community that we built together. I want to read you his statements, his his tone as he's describing himself and and defending himself. And, And again, I'll try to do this in the tone with which I think he wrote it. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Mm, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. I don't even want to hear it. Don't even tell me I'm not an apostle. This is a guy who's burying his soul. You won't find anyone in the New Testament more vulnerable or transparent than Paul. And then he turns the corner and he gets more transparent. He says, if I wanted to boast, I could, but I won't. But I went up to heaven. And I don't know what was going on there. If I was in my body, out of my body, but I was up there. And I saw things so profound, I can't even share it with another human being. I can't even do it. I'm not even allowed to do it. But even if I could, you wouldn't understand it. I'd just be wasting my time. I've written about these amazing things, the second coming of the Lord. I wrote about all this stuff. That's just the stuff I can share with you. There's more that he gave me that I can't even share with you. And he talks about trials and tribulations. And he, he, he lists by name the trials that he went through that are heroic. The time that they dropped him out of a window in a basket, lowered him down to get him away from a riot that preaching the gospel message had caused. He talks about when he was beaten with rods. He talks about how he's having to deal with these people who claim they were believers, but they were not believers. And then he does something interesting. He starts doing what we do when we get to those issues in our lives that are the real issues, the root issues, 
the reoccurring issues. Before he is listing all these things by name, but then he starts speaking in code and he just gives a metaphor for this thing. That while he was ascending higher and higher into his understanding of God, there was something negative at work against him. And he just calls it a thorn. It's a thorn. He says it's an unspoken. You ever been in a small group and someone drops an unspoken prayer request? (laughs) Many of our deepest issues in life go unspoken. We say, let's just call it an issue. It's a thorn. It's just a lot right now. It's just a lot. I can't even break it down. I can't even tell you all that it is, but I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed. Let's just call it a thing. We'll just call it a thorn. It could be temptation. It could be hardship. It could be opposition. It could be rejection. It could be need. It could be temptation, hardship, opposition, rejection, or need. And I give you those five because they spell out thorn. You got some room on the bottom of your outline. Write that down. Could be temptation, hardship, opposition, rejection, or need. These are all the things that Paul mentions in 2 Corinthians. He mentions all of these. He says, who is led into sin but doesn't inwardly burn? That's temptation. He says, I was beaten by the Jews. That's hardship. He says, I was opposed by people who should have been supporting me. He says, I was rejected by you Corinthians. Uh, I shouldn't have to prove myself to you, but I was rejected. And and there was this need so great, I was frustrated by my own limitations. And and he says, I got this thorn. Now, theologians have been trying to figure out for centuries. They want to pinpoint the thorn. And some say it was a physical condition. Some say it was long-term damage to to his body from all the persecution. Some say, no, 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 no. It was somebody. It was someone. Some... Say it could have been something spiritual, but if God wanted us to know what Paul's thorn was specifically, he would have had Paul write it down and tell us. But I'm glad we don't know, because that way it gets to be all of ours. It's good that we don't know, because we tend to disassociate ourselves from problems we don't understand. So we see someone was struggling with something. We don't struggle in that area, but we see them struggling with that, and we go, that's crazy. That's just get over it. Or that, you don't, why are you struggling with that? But if we were to open up about some struggles in our life, they may seem pretty simplistic or not a real struggle to other people. I think the thorn is the most beautiful fill in the blank we could have for our pain. So whatever your thorn is, whatever you wish would be taken away, whether it's a temptation, a hardship, opposition, rejection, or need, couple that that thorn with Paul's. I think it was something very embedded within Paul because he went to the Lord three times about it. He says, God, if you would take this away, I could get more done. We've all prayed something like this. God, if you could take this, if you would just take this away, I could be a better parent. If you took this away, I could be a better pastor. If you took this away, I could be faithful. God, take away the temptation. Take away the hardship. Take away the opposition. Take away the rejection. Take away the need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Mm, Thank you, Lord. How about you take all that grace and all that power and come get this thorn? 
couple of days, weeks, couple of months go by, and it's still there. And he goes to pray again, God, I signed up to serve you. And when I signed up to serve you, you said you would give me everything I needed to serve you. And I'm trying, I'm trying to have a good attitude here. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to stay pure. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do the good work. But there's this, there's this temptation here. There's this hardship. There's this opposition. There's this rejection. There's this need. And there's this thorn here. And every time I try to make progress, I'm working up against this thorn. Can't you see that? Can't you take it away? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> How about you take all that grace and all that power and come get this thorn? And then Paul does something here he doesn't do in any of his other epistles, any of these other letters, and he uses a designation in the Greek where he's referring to the Lord, where he dispenses with the formalities and he just goes directly to Jesus. And, and maybe you've been there in your life where all the church talk goes out the window. All the things you normally say in your prayers go out the window. And you just get to the point where you're so sick of pressing in into that thing, into that thorn that you press into God. And the thorn takes you to the, to the throne. And that's when our prayers turn into a little bit of a growl. Come on, you've been there, right? God, I'm serious about this. I'm praying. I watched War Room, got the movie, did the study. I'm praying. I'm doing the deal. And you got to remove this thorn. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So is that a no? This is the most beautiful no that's ever been given in the Bible. He prayed three different times for this thing that was constantly paining him to go away. And God answers three different times, as beautiful as the words are, no, no, no. What do you do with that? What do you do when the answer is no? How do you, how do you deal with a no when you've gone to God and you've prayed and you've been persistent in your faith? And you want him to change something. You want him to take something away. And the answer is no. Well, there's three things that I think will help us process the no's from God. Three things to remember when the answer is no. Number one is God is not rejecting me. God is not rejecting me. God may be saying no to the request, but he's not saying no to you as a person. God wasn't rejecting Paul. He wasn't rejecting Paul as a person, as a son of the Most High God. He wasn't rejecting Paul as an apostle. He was saying no to the request. And if you're a parent, you've had to make this distinction with your child. Or maybe you say no, or you don't allow something. And, and their, by their response, you would think that you just pulled out the rug from under their life, and you're just rejecting them as a person. But no, you're just trying to be a good parent. Maybe you're trying to budget their time. You're trying to make a good decision. But isn't it amazing how the same thing happens with God and us? And when we receive a no from God, it can make us incredibly vulnerable. And a lie from the enemy at the right moment of vulnerability can sound a lot like the truth. So if you don't allow the Holy Spirit, if you don't allow God to process that no, 
to help you process it, you're going to be opening the door for the enemy to process that no for you, and he'll tell you some ridiculous things. He'll say, there must be something wrong with your prayers. He'll say, you must not be close enough to God. Everybody else is getting a yes. You're getting rejected. There must be something wrong with you. God doesn't love you anymore. Remember that evil thing that you did? God couldn't get over it. But we know that's not true because God's word says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. When you're processing that no, you got to remember that God has not rejected you. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forsaken you. He's doing this to reveal something. So I must remember when the answer is no, number two, that I can rely on God's power. When that no comes to us, we have the opportunity to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. This doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to take this away, but I'm not going to rely on my perspective. I'm going to rely on your perspective and your power. And that it's, it's a no for a reason. Paul said, to keep me from becoming proud, he gave me this thorn. A messenger from Satan to torment me. And I begged God three different times to take it away, and he didn't take it away. But because of this thorn, I got a message from God that that I wouldn't have have received otherwise. I got a message from God that that his grace is enough. And that his, his power is made perfect in my weakness. Because of this thorn, I got a message. And he changes our perspective and we begin to see things differently. Look at this passage again starting in verse 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and and the insults. I take pleasure in the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So wait, Paul, you're, you're glad about it now? You're happy now? Can you imagine Paul going back to his small group And they say, Paul, how's this thorn? Oh, it's still there. Whoa, you seem glad about it. Last week you were in anguish. You were crying. Are you healed? No, not healed, but cross my name off the list. We don't need to pray about that anymore. Let's pray about the churches. Let's pray for the pastors. Let's pray for the kingdom. Let's pray that that we'll go into all the earth. Paul said, as long as I was doing good, my focus was on my gift and only what I could do and it was only on my plan but when I came to a low point in my life and I didn't know what to do my focus shifted from my gift to God's grace and there are just some things in life I can't find out with a yes Some things in my life I can't learn from a yes. I can only find them out with a no. There are some strengths that I can only get with a no. There is some perspective that I need that I don't get it from a yes. I get it from a no. And there is some power that I can't experience from a yes. I can only experience it from a no. 
And Paul says, and now I'm thankful for the no. I'm thankful for the thorn because without it, I would have never come to know that Christ is enough and his grace is enough and his power works best in my weakness. His, his power, his plan works best when I get out of the way and I rely on him and his grace and not my gift. The third thing I need to remember when the answer is no is that I'm not the first person to receive a no. So now is when I want to share with you that God's response was not just a spiritual answer. If you read it, if you read the response in Scripture, it's written in red. Which means that Jesus himself responded to Paul. And here's what I believe the implication is behind this statement. Jesus is saying, Paul, the answer is no. And before you think I'm being mean to you, you're not the only guy who has ever prayed for something to be taken away and it wasn't taken away. I received a no as well. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad about it, Paul? I know what it's like to have our Father listen to our prayer and not respond like we'd hoped. And your perspective, Paul, is going to change just like mine did. And Paul says, I didn't see it that way at first, but I prayed three times. And the reason I had to go directly to Jesus was because he prayed three times that he wouldn't have to drink from the cup of the wrath of God. And, and he said to God, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. But I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he went a little deeper and he went a little farther and he said, God, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering from me. But your will not mine. And he went a little deeper and he went a little farther and he prayed again. And, and it was so grueling that he started to sweat drops of blood. And he realized this isn't going away. And he drank from the cup that he didn't want. And he reached out and took hand of the thing that he wanted to go away. And he went to the cross. And Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And the thing that they pressed into the crown of his head was the thing that made the blood flow down to his feet that brought redemption, that cleanses everyone who believes in his name. It was the thorn. It was the thing that brought him pain, that brought glory to God. And if you and I want to become like Christ, we have to come to the point in our life where we say, your will be done, Lord, not mine. Your way, not my way. Your plan, not my plan. Your grace, not my gift. More of you, less of me. May you become greater and greater. May I become less and less. Because what shall separate me from the love of God? Shall temptation, shall hardship, shall opposition, shall rejection, shall need? No, none of it's separating me from the love and the grace of God because we're convinced that neither life or death, neither angels or demons present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord, that is found in God's will, that is found in God's plan, that's found in God's perspective, that's found in God's way. And you're able to look at the thorns in your life and you take pleasure in them because you say, maybe they're here to remind me 
that Christ is enough. And maybe the crown's always made of thorns. And maybe the glory always feels like a grind. And maybe the adversity has an assignment after all. Maybe there's a purpose behind it after all. Maybe there's a reason for it after all. Let's go to prayer. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you for not rejecting us and that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It's your kindness that's calling us to repentance. And thank you that we can stand on your grace today with no condemnation. Help us to rely on your power. Help us to see our thorns the way you see them. Help us to see the purpose behind them. Help us to be our perspective to change. That we rely on your grace and your power. And we see where you're working. God, most of all today we remember the cross. Where you laid your life down in our place. You absorbed the wrath of God. You lived the perfect life we could have never lived. You took our punishment. You died. You were buried. And then you rose from the grave giving all who believe eternal life. If you're processing a no in your life today, something in your life you wish God would take away, I'm going to invite you in just a second to raise your hand. We've had hands go up all over this room all weekend. Something in your life you wish God would take away, whether it be a temptation, a hardship, opposition, rejection, or need. If you're processing a no in your life, would you just raise your hand right now? God, I pray that each one of your people would find comfort in your spirit today. In Jesus' name, I speak against the enemy's lies of condemnation. And may your people today hear that you are enough and your grace is always enough and your power is made perfect in weakness and that where we end is where you begin. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.